0: this is Tanakhcast. Welcome back to Tanakhcast. This is episode 165. We'll continue in the Psalms with a brief summary of chapters 48 through 50 and follow with some thoughts about what's here today and gone tomorrow. Psalm 48 is all about God's city. Quote, "His holy mountain, lovely in heights." All the earth's joy, Mount Zion, far end of Tzaphon, the great king's city. The city is celebrated far and wide. Quote, Go around Zion, encircle it, count its towers, set your mind to its ramparts, scale its bastions to recount to the last generation. For this is God, our God, forevermore. He will lead us forever. With this build up, it is clear that this city will survive any onslaught, outlast any siege. And this was the standard take on Jerusalem throughout the reign of the kings of Israel and Judea. For centuries, especially after the miraculous collapse of the Assyrian forces at the city gates in 701 BCE, Jerusalem could and would not fall. Psalm 49 addresses all of us, quote, You human creatures, you sons of man, together the rich and the needy about what awaits us all, our common fate, our own mortality. The poet has a thing or two to tell us about it and his words are directed at those who think that somehow death will spare them because of their affluence or influence. Quote, Who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches, yet they surely will redeem no man, will not give to God his ransom. To redeem their lives is too dear, and one comes to an end forever. Will he yet live forever? Will he not see the pit? For he sees the wise die, both the fool and the stupid man perish, and they abandon to others their wealth. Is this the only way a fruitless, expensive attempt to stave off the inevitable? The poet has another option. Quote, God will ransom my life from the grip of Sheol. He will take me. It's not clear what this means, that God will literally do this, or that the poet has faith that God will redeem him. Either way, death claims everyone, even the animals, are not spared this fate. There is nothing a mortal person can do to avoid it, so perhaps be mindful of what you have. For his own self he blesses when alive, and acclaims you for giving him bounty. If Psalm 49 was addressed to all humans, Psalm 50 speaks to the universe. El, the God, Lord, he spoke and called to the earth from the sun's rising place to its setting. But the concern of the first part of this address is rather prosaic, near offerings, as in who needs them? God doesn't really, because God has all of nature at God's disposal. A human sample of it, as a gift, is wholly unnecessary. God is not hungry for barbecue, nor does God eat. would I eat the flesh of fat bulls? Would I drink the blood of goats? One inch thick top sirloin steak, salt and pepper heavily, grill at 400, four minutes total. Flip each minute to get the good grill marks. Let's sit for two minutes down the hatch. This is especially true when the bringer of the meat doesn't back the offering with any real change in behavior. We've heard this complaint before from a half dozen prophets, but perhaps not as eloquently. And so the poet turns his attention to these hypocritical meat bringers, quote, Why do you recount my statutes and bear my pact in your mouth? when you have despised chastisement and flung my words behind you. Oh, damn! To these people, the poet has only one warning. Understand this. You who forget God, lest I tear you apart with no one to save you. He who sacrifices thanksgiving reveres me and sets out on the proper way. I will show him God's rescue. And on that cautionary note, here endeth the lesson. Ephemera danica is a species of mayfly in the genus Ephemera. Though its life cycle usually takes one or two years, sometimes the developing nymphal forms may last up to three years, this mayfly's name derives from the Greek word ephemeros, which means lasting one day or short-lived. Ephemerol was one of those vocabulary words I had on a flashcard as I prepped for the SATs in the previous century, and it stuck with me. It means short-lived. I have a folder in my mail app entitled ephemera for all those emails that I should probably delete but decide to hold on to anyway. For ephemera, as it is most commonly used, refers to any transitory written or printed matter that is not meant to be saved or preserved. Like ticket stubs or air sickness bags or bookmarks or catalogs or greeting cards or postcards, the list goes on. In library and information science, the term ephemera also describes the class of published single-sheet or single-page documents which are meant to be thrown away after one use. The pernozze I referred to in the previous episode is a perfect example. The pamphlet was printed in a limited run with a poem honoring the newly married bride and groom. You read it on the wedding day and then you toss it. I mention ephemera here because, in a sense, the poet ruminates about the ephemerality of existence, the here-today, gone-tomorrow nature of human life, and how a certain class of people try to stave off the inevitable through the accumulation of wealth, as if you can take it with you. But it seems today, the accumulation of wealth, though it might not be able to defeat death, it is doing its darndest to delay it significantly. This is not a new thing. In imperial China, numerous all-powerful emperors actually died from consuming mercury-based potions intended to make them live forever. The most famous example was 3rd century BCE, Emperor Qin Shi Huang, the first Emperor Qin, who reportedly died from Chinese alchemical elixir poisoning due to ingesting mercury pills. When Pope Innocent VIII Leanna's deathbed in 1492, three ten-year-old boys were paid a ducat each to give their blood to the pontiff. The boys died too. During the 16th and 17th centuries, countless European alchemists swindled aristocrats with bogus drugs for eternal life. These alchemists got theirs though. Many asphyxiated on arsenic fumes. They were blinded from noxious vapors or they just poisoned themselves with lethal elixirs in search of the Philosopher's Stone. You're a wizard, Harry. After World War I, thousands of rich old men lined up to have chimpanzee testicles grafted into their scrotums at Sergei Varunov's exclusive medical clinic on the Riviera. Present day billionaires, however, have an advantage over the rich of previous centuries. They have... Yes, medicine has advanced significantly since the 3rd century BCE, but what the worried rich have that Pope Innocent VIII didn't have as well is technology, specifically a movement that has emerged in the past half-century called transhumanism. The term was popularized by biologist Julian Huxley when it appeared in the title of an influential 1957 article called, appropriately, Transhumanism. Up until now, he wrote... Human life has generally been, as Hobbes described it, nasty, brutish, and short. The great majority of human beings, if they have not already died young, have been afflicted with misery. We can justifiably hold the belief that these lands of possibility exist, and that the present limitations and miserable frustrations of our existence could be in large measure surmounted. The human species can, if it wishes, transcend itself, not just sporadically, an individual here in one way, an individual there in another way, but in its entirety as humanity. Now, it's not too out there to say that what seemed like science fiction in the late 1950s is commonplace today. Consider your smartphone. But what transhumanists are talking about is also coming to pass in small incremental steps. For example, we are perhaps less than five years away from having the human body seamlessly augmented by wearables. Contact lenses that overlay Google Maps onto the real landscape. Earbuds that allow us to speak with anyone on the planet or universally translate any language into our native tongue. Subdermal RFID chips that can unlock doors or laptops. But the most revolutionary example is CRISPR, which will allow us to edit our DNA to eliminate congenital diseases. Yes, but also tweak certain latent features or introduce new ones into the human genome. But some of you are surely thinking, these advances are not five years away, they're here now. That's true. But to paraphrase William Gibson, the future is already here. It's just being spread unevenly. And generally, that uneven spread can be accounted for by looking at who has the wealth. Take Larry Ellison, CEO of Oracle Corporation and probably the fifth richest person on earth. He was quoted as saying, quote, Death makes me very angry. It doesn't make any sense to me. Death has never made any sense to me. How can a person be there and then just vanish, just not be there? Larry's anger and confusion about how death works prompted him to set up a foundation for ending mortality, or at least, quote, understanding lifespan development processes and age-related diseases and disabilities. And he's not the only billionaire earmarking serious cash on the mortality problem. Libertarian wackaloon Peter Thiel and Google founder Sergey Brin have also allocated millions toward confronting, quote, humanity's grand challenges, aging and death being numbers one and two, which begs the question, wouldn't this money be better spent figuring out climate change or, you know, I don't know, feeding hungry people? An argument could be made that transhumanism or research into the mortality problem might result in concrete medical advances that will result in much longer lifespans. But I think back to Gibson's quote and wonder, longer lifespans for whom? Neil Blomkamp's Elysium is but one of a thousand possible dystopian scenarios where the rich live triple-digit long lives aloof from the rest of humanity as it wallows in squalor. One only has to look at... Subreddits like Boring Dystopia to see similar yet smaller scale stories play out in real time in the present moment, such as the story from May 2019 of Logan Moore, a two-year-old boy with hypotonia who needed a gait trainer to help him with walking, except the Moore's health insurance providers wouldn't cover the cost of the walker. So they went to Home Depot to get some PVC tubing to build their own. And when the Home Depot employees on hand in the Cedartown, Georgia store found out about this, they told the Moores to go get ice cream while they whipped the walker together on their own. What a heartwarming story picked up by the mainstream media as an example of how corporations and big box stores really care about individual people. But is it though? The Ellison Foundation could have bought Logan a hundred walkers out of petty cash. But even that's not the point. Say the Ellison Foundation in the process of figuring out how to extend human life indefinitely found a cure for hypotonia. What are the chances that Logan Moore would benefit from it? Aye, there's the rub. The poet did not have CRISPR or wearables, but he had wisdom. And when he said that wealth will surely redeem no man, and eventually everyone ends up in... Pit, I wasn't in the pit. It's clear that a shift in priorities is definitely in order, and in the subsequent psalm, he directs, one and all, how they should use the limited time they have on this earth, to follow God's covenant, and most of all, Be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes! Like we heard today, spread the word about TanakhCast. Tell a friend about TanakhCast over coffee. Send another friend an email or text, nothing fancy. Help your aunt who just got her first smartphone to download a podcatcher and subscribe to TanakhCast. And if you have a spare moment after all that, write a brief glowing review at Apple Podcasts. Apparently it helps people who might be interested in a little Bible learning for this podcast. And it's also a nice thing to do. If you want to help in an even bigger way, support us at Patreon. Just search for TanakhCast at Patreon.com and pledge your shekels either on a one-time or monthly basis and receive special blessings from the Most High. I thank you in advance for that and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for... Episode 166, when we continue in Psalms with chapters 51 through 54.